0: And welcome to the BAMSI Humanity First Podcast. I am Chris Ryan, along with BAMSI President and CEO Peter Evers. We're going to go into a two-part conversation here on the podcast this week. The first part is going to focus on some of the ways that we can look at and see other individuals who are struggling and perhaps help them here in the COVID-19 environment as cases continue to increase in the Commonwealth. And the second part is going to focus on how we can go about bringing some holiday joy to uh, families in need in the local community. Believe it or not, the holidays are here with uh, Halloween on Saturday and uh, Thanksgiving just a few weeks after that, and Christmas just a few weeks after that, Peter, how are you?
1: Um, I was good until you mentioned that Christmas is just around the corner. Just around the corner. I done
0: anything about it? Just a few weeks away. <laughs> you got to get started. Um, and you know, actually, to start with that, I think that that's important for folks to to think about, particularly in light of uh, a lot of the. Um, local businesses that are struggling here in the covid nineteen environment um, you get that Christmas shopping out of the way early um, and to make sure that it is focused on uh, on on local businesses who are you know, struggling during this environment that 's my plug for for local businesses but let 's move into um, let 's move into the uh, the covid nineteen environment We talked last week and had a really good conversation about you know depression and anxiety in the covid-19 uh, environment and we continue to see more studies um, and focus on on that and it's prevalent amongst to all of us to have some aspects of depression and anxiety during this this time period and the question though is at what point in time is it appropriate uh, to start to bring that up to somebody? If you're noticing it in in someone else, you notice that your radio co-host is a little bit down from where he usually is, his his usual uh, excited self. And do you say something to uh, to him, or do you have an indirect conversation in uh, which you just kind of put it out there that perhaps it's taking place? How do you go about having you know that conversation? with a individual where it's going to have a, a meaningful impact to them when it's something that is so personal, um, where it's, it's really a decision that, that that person has to make themselves, about whether they want to seek treatment or if they think that this is something that has risen to the point where they need to do something about it as opposed to it just being a part of a very difficult and challenging circumstance.
1: Absolutely, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Chris. And um, I think the way that I would cheer up a radio host is telling them a dad joke, which is relative to Halloween. <laughs> uh, do you want me to do? Let's one? do it. <laughs> All right. Um, what um, do? When do uh, ghosts eat their breakfast? I don't know. In the morning. There you go. Uh, I didn't really cheer you up very much. <laughs> no, that was worse. What are they mourning? <laughs> <made it> <laughs> what are they mourning? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, but but you're right. I mean, the I think you know what we've learned from this, as what we learn in many of our sort of national crises, is that we need to lean on each other, um, and we need to be able to ask for help, and we need to recognise when other human beings are struggling. So I think it's worth spending a few minutes anyway talking about, well, what are some of the hidden signs, some of the signs of hidden depression? And hidden depression is, is a real thing. It is when people aren't willing or cannot talk about what they're going through. They feel that the stigma out there in the community and um, and they don't want to reveal those things, um, and they don't even want to reveal those things to, your, to to their closest friends and family. But it is, I think, good for us to know. Well, what do we look for? What are some of the things that people start doing? And, and I know we've talked about this before, Chris. But there's this thing called pre-morbid functioning, which is how are people functioning before, and how does their behaviour that you're noticing differ from um, when people you know are. Uh, are not struggling with depression. And I think one of the, one of the best um, indicators of that, the, at least the first one, is that in depression you have a disruption in your sleep and disruption in, in the way that you're living. So you might actually be drinking more alcohol or taking drugs because you're trying to mask some of that um, psychic pain that you're having. Uh, and so, you know, disrupted life patterns, uh, eating or drinking more and disruption doesn't just
0: mean that there's less of it it means that it's different and so a lot of times i think you hear the word disruption you think "Oh, okay that means the person's having difficulty sleeping no that that may not be the case you may be sleeping all the time um so that's that's not just not sleeping it's if you are sleeping too much
1: yeah and that and that's and that's that whole thing about always compare pair and you know if you have somebody who is a colleague who's always a grump. You know, and every Monday you come in and they say, "Well, how was your weekend?" Well, it was awful. Well, if they continue to say that, don't worry about that person. That's just their. That's just the way that they are. Um, but beginning to recognise that this person is behaving a little bit more difficulty. The other, with, uh, di- with differently, sorry. I think the other thing to think about is this sort of idea of a forced happy face, and you, you do see this with people who think who are struggling with depression. They think I've got to grind my way through the day, and I'm going to put on a happy face. Overcompensate. No what, and overcompensate, and um, and that now I would say that these. On their own are not a um, an indicator of depression, but all of these together, or two or three of these together, you've got to start thinking: Is everything okay? And asking that question of people, um, I think the other thing is that people tend to be much more philosophical about their life when uh, when they're going through a depression. And you know, you pr- probably people can relate to this. You sh- you start asking more. Um, profound questions about your reason for being and 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 is it all worth it and that really is this sort of lack of hope that exists in people who are going through a depressive uh, episode they're also much more likely to focus on themselves uh, and their plight or their dilemma and again if that is somebody who is beginning to behave like that sort of um, we should be aware of that and sort of take note of that.
0: So what do you think you you do about that if you are noticing uh, these things in a, uh, a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a child? Do you do you address it with them? Do you yeah. not address it with them? You do.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. there is nothing wrong with asking somebody how they feel. And there's a circularity in that that I think of when the first time that you ask that question to somebody they'll go, "No, I'm fine." This is, why are you asking me? You you you'll be
0: a defensive nature.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, mind your own business even. But you've put the seed out there that you actually care enough to say, is everything all right? Uh, and it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what their first reaction is. It's allowed that person to come back and say, you know, when you asked me about that the other day, mm-hmm. well, I'm sorry, I, mean? didn't, I didn't yeah. mean to like, but but actually, I want to talk about it. That actually is the first connection. Humans, humans connect in a way that no other uh, animals do. And... That, I think, is the essence of the beginning of getting help, because then you can actually say, well, you know, there are interventions that help that are therapeutic. There are things that you can do, you know, in terms of exercising more and in terms of offering your friendship. That is the beginning of an intervention that makes somebody think, I'm not in this alone. You know, there's somebody to help me.
0: And a lot of times, you know, we as a society will move more towards the avoidance and you may see something that's a little bit different and say, Well, it's it's not my business. It's not uh, it's it's up to it's up to them or they're gonna respond negatively to that. And I don't want to have a bad relationship with my coworker. If I bring this up and it's not something, you know, and they're just they're fine or just there's a little something taking place, they'll be like, Well why is this why is this person up in my business? Right. Um and yeah, I, I I get both sides of that, but I think that it it really falls with uh, what you're saying in that it's showing that you care. It's showing that, um, and again, it's how you can, you can go about couching it as well. Where COVID is a great excuse for everything these days, <laughs> and say, well, you know, COVID is COVID is is tough, and um, you know, I know you have uh, your, your dad's been sick or. You know, this has been taking place with you, and I just wanted to just want to make sure everything is all right because maybe there's not enough focus on on you. Are you okay? Because you seem like you're a little depressed about what's taking place, and then um, you know that will allow for the individual to speak. I and mean, you don't have to just come out and be like, "Hey, you're depressed." <laughs> 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 you you that's don't not the best way, right? Be you, you, can, <laughs> you can you um, can you know you 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 can couch it, and um, that's probably the best way to uh, to go about it. Um, yeah, and I think that again, we are all struggling with what's taking place in different ways. I mean, this has been a major disruption to our lives. Um, it made you know, it's made us reflective, perhaps in uh, what we had before, where you could go to a concert when you wanted to, you could go out to the movie theater. There are all these different ways to kind of remove yourself from some of the trials and depression and anxiety issues that folks may have. Those those uh, aspects of being able to uh, escape um, have been taken away. And for a lot of folks, that's that's really challenging. And, you know, I, I think that, um, that we are in a, a place right now where, again, as we talked about last week, we're trying to figure out what the new normal is and whether we need to adapt to this new normal um, and kind of, Sit around the the bar and talk about the good old days when you used to go to uh, concerts and or the Patriots. Oh. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to go to the Patriots <laughs> games right now, but uh, where they uh, if you used to go to the Patriots games on Sunday and now you can't do it, um, it's it's a really tough situation. And granted, we did have it really really good before, um, and we didn't have to worry about things. And a lot of times we did worry about things still, but. Um, yeah, it's that the rationalization of what's taking place is, is very, very difficult because there is no, um, quote unquote, end. You don't know when you're going to be able to go back on a cruise ship again if that's something you've enjoyed doing. Um, you don't know when you're going to be able to uh, go on a, uh, a vacation that you had wanted to do for many years and that's the, um, the challenge and that uh, life is, is precious, it is short. And um we're dealing with uh, something that has created an interruption for our in our lives for not just a period of weeks or months but uh, potentially years,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. and I think you know when we talk about PTSD and we talk about these things that shock our lives, we talk about shattered assumptions and and that's exactly what's happened to us. We assume that we can get up and do whatever we want. And it's very difficult to hear that you've got to wear a mask, you can't go out. You have to be able to see the bigger picture. And I always think it's really good to think about wearing a mask in terms of protecting other people and that that, gets back to that idea of helping each other. And I think, you know, the other thing about asking that question that we were talking about, uh, Chris, is to to normalize it. You know, it is unusual for a human being to go through the life cycle without experiencing some kind of emotional distress, period. Right. That's a big statement, right, which normalizes it. Millennials, I believe, are great about that because they're absolutely able to talk about their their emotional dysregulation in the same way that they talk about a sprained ankle, some of them, not everybody, but we're moving towards that. So when you ask that question of somebody, it isn't, hey, are you depressed? It is, you know, wow, I mean, you know, mental illness or or emotional dysregulation happens in all families with everybody. You know, you just seem a little, you know, off at the moment, do you want to talk about it? Just normalize it, put it in the arena of normal human behavior. And then people are more likely to say, well, actually, yes that's that's what's happening to me now and that gives you the ability to have that conversation
0: no i think the assumption piece is really really true in that we had so many assumptions in the past of what was truly going to happen you'd be able to go to graduations you'd be able to go to weddings you'd be able to go to funerals all these things were a part of our lives that seemed that there would never be any disruption to those types of engagements and you you know, To be told that, no, it's not going to take place, and it's this invisible reason as to why, um, that is one of the major challenges of this. A, the end date, and B, the assumptions that we have about what we should be able to do and not being able to... To do them, and for some having difficulty rationalizing the reason as to why that isn't. I wouldn't even say for some. I would say for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, if why can't I? Why can't we do this? Why can't I do it safely? I'm going to be safe about this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know, who is the government to say that I can't? And all those those types of things are very much at play, and they're very much challenging to who we are as Americans. In that we. have this feeling of um, what our freedoms should be and how we should be able to utilize those freedoms.
1: That's right. And I think, you know, moving on to our next topic, I suppose, you know, there are some people who are affected far more profoundly uh, by this uh, COVID uh, pandemic than others. And I think about young parents and parents, new new parents and parents who are uh, recognizing that there might be some developmental issues with their kids. And that's where our EI program comes in.
0: Thank you, Peter, and I'm very excited to uh, introduce our guest for this week's show. It's Laura Saccone. She is the Early Intervention Office Manager, and she's going to talk a little bit about what early intervention is and the significance of it, importance uh, of it in our overall operation at Bamsy and in general, and also about a special event which is uh, coming up in the next few weeks, um, which is going to focus on getting some toys and coats and items in need, uh, for families in need. Laura, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Good morning. Great, appreciate you joining us. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, early intervention as a whole, because to me, it is one of the most important things that we do here at BAMSI and um, is incredibly important as as a whole, um, where if we're going to have success as a a society in addressing a lot of uh, issues, uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is early intervention. So tell us about what it is. Um, and how you go about uh, trying to have success in, uh, in, in various programs.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. And of course, I'm slightly biased, but I truly believe that it is an important program uh, as a whole. But it, basically, to start from the beginning, it's a public health program that provides therapeutic and family support to infants and toddlers who have uh, developmental delays or at risk for such delays. We are a program that Um, is held throughout the entire state. Our particular program services Brockton and the surrounding areas and it's for children from birth until age three. They would qualify based on an evaluation and then from there on we would be providing services that would be appropriate for where they qualified in. So we provide services such as occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech and language, we have nurses on program, we also have uh, nutritionists, things like that. Uh, our program is, uh, it is a home-based and center-based program. Of course, due to the pandemic, all of our services are being held via telehealth, which of course creates um, a whole new array of situations and issues that we've had to sort of overcome since, um, the pandemic sort of started back in March. But I do have to say our clinicians have been very successful in providing um, wonderful services for our families in the area.
1: Yeah, Tyler, uh, Peter is here. I totally agree with you. And I also think that the EI programs that BAMSI uh, provide are some of the best in the state. And uh, I can say that uh, as an outsider and, and an insider. So thank you for Continuing to provide these services under what you've just described as really, really difficult circumstances. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, when I think about the work that EI does, I think about some of the mental health uh, interactions like uh, child parent psychotherapy, things like that. When you're working with kids this little, um, of course, it's the, it's the help that we can give parents in terms, of, uh, uh, in terms of providing those services. Can you talk a little bit about if I was a, a parent who had uh, uh, recently had um, you know, this sort of diagnosis for their kid, what, what can I expect in terms of support and intervention?
2: So our services are absolutely family-based. Um, so we may be providing the physical one-on-one therapy with the child, but the family is just as important as the the child. We are only in the house, uh, sorry, that via telehealth, uh, typically it's the home, but we're only there for an hour or two through the week, so the rest of the time is really on the individual parents and families that will be providing the services for their child, but we're there really as a support to give them home programming ideas, suggestions, resources, where to go, um, and BAMC is obviously really important in that aspect because we do tend to use a lot of the other BAMC programs. We try to connect families to uh, resources that they may be in need of. But again, um, we may be providing those individual services to the child, but it really is based around the family.
0: You mentioned some of the, the services, but what specifically, and I guess generally, are you uh, treating and how are those things identified within children at a very very uh, early age?
2: So uh, you know especially with the pandemic that's going on our population has been really hit hard. Um, A lot of our families do live in the Brockton area and as we know the infection rate for residents is really high so we're here to support them on that aspect. We can uh, refer them to the helpline They have definitely a limited food supply. So, again, you know, with Banshee's brown bag lunches, we've been able to support them with that, giving them ideas on where to go, um, you know, fuel assistance and things like that. But definitely in the pandemic, we've been able to help in different ways that we may not have normally done.
0: So, this is the obviously the earliest of early intervention. You mentioned that um, children in this particular program cap out at the age of. Three. What happens for kids after uh, the age of three?
2: So once the child uh, turns three, or just prior to their uh, third birthday, we do assist the family in transitioning them out of our program. So it could be to the public school system in their town. It could be um, referring them to some private preschools in the area. But we do assist them with transitioning out of our program. But unfortunately, once they turn three, They do move on to um, the next stage of their life, which uh, generally is that preschool, um, that preschool area.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it it's so vital, Um, and you know, there are of course other countries in the world that provide this service to everybody, regardless of um, regardless of the eligibility. Um, But it's me, if Laura, if. It's, this isn't means tested or anything, right? It's it it, it people are um, determined for intervention by uh, the assessment and the eligibility.
2: Absolutely, yep. So they the child would be uh, referred to our program, and they would be evaluated based on a specific evaluation tool that we use here, and they would need to qualify on services based on that uh, that test.
0: Do you feel like in the COVID environment that? you are able to adequately you know, touch and help these these children. And I mean that with all respect because I'm sure you're working hard in order to try to get that to come to fruition. But as you know, a father who is doing um, remote learning with a second grader now and a first grader last year, I know how difficult it is for um, that connection to take place. Remotely and you know, we're talking about a child who is seven and and eight years of age as opposed to um, You know uh, under the age of of three So how have you been able to to do this? And do you feel like you are being able to be uh, effective mentioned the importance of the parents? Obviously, but do you feel like you are able to touch? You know the child at all in this uh, type of a telehealth environment
2: Sure, and and of course um You know, working in the office, I I can only speak to what I see, but I I do see the clinicians working extremely hard, and again, this is a whole new um, way of learning that we've had to learn, Um, but they have been extremely successful, and uh, especially, you know, with what we're dealing with right now, we have had a lot of challenges engaging them in telehealth. You know, families' job schedules are are different. Um, They're... Their family life as a whole is totally different. They, we've come across uh, a limited technology um, and resources that they have. So, you know, we've been able to get some laptops to loan to families that may not have one available. Um, And and this is, as you just said, this is where the family really comes into play because you know a lot of what we're doing is yeah we may not be touching that child physically but we're really giving the explanation to the parents to be able to turn that over to working with their child on a day-to-day basis. Um, We, you know, when we sort of shut down back in March, they were doing telehealth pretty much 100% of the time. We have been able to open our center for uh, some individual services, the evaluations, which is really important, We have opened the center to provide center-based evaluations since August. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of families that feel comfortable coming in. We've uh, controlled the environment enough that it is a very uh, comfortable place for them to come with their child. And they can get that one-on-one evaluation. And then, of course, you know, services would be provided after that via telehealth but again i can only speak for what i'm seeing but the clinicians are doing an awesome job and they really have seen a lot of success on on levels that they never even really have ever done before
1: so laura this is a three part question <laughs> i don't want to make Great. this i don't want to make this difficult for you at all <laughs> but um you know as i think about this we are, we've been put in this position of what what some people call forced adoption this whole idea that you know organizations like ours for years have said you know we should really do telehealth and then we find 10 different ways that we can not do telehealth now we've done it now we've been in this for six months what do you think part part i think part one is what do you think we'll carry forward with this and and i think the other two parts are and and what have we learned from it and and are our staff I mean I, I know our staff are remarkably resilient but you know do they see this as a learning experience that has been extraordinarily stressful on them uh, and the parents that they're they're working with but are there things that we can take forward
2: mm-hmm. so I, I know families and staff are anxious to have them back in their home um, like I said we are a home based program and the importance of Um, you know, being a one-on-one with that child is really important to us as a program, Mm -hmm. as early intervention as a whole. So I think, you know, the staff uh, as well as families are really excited to hopefully one day have us back in their home. Uh, Again, you know, we don't know what the future is going to hold for us, but we hope that one day that that will be back. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the idea of having telehealth in our future, I think, will stay as a secondary option. Um, but, you know, things are going to, as life in, in, in a whole, I think things are going to look different for us. But we are home based, and I know that they are excited to be back in the home one day. Um, clearly, they will take a lot of what they've learned since March and sort of move forward. Um, they've learned Again, yeah, I agree about resilience, about families' resilience, especially with children that do need a lot of assistance at the beginning of their life. Um, But I I truly believe there's a lot that they've learned with uh, the modality that they've had to use since March to sort of move it forward um, as a whole for early intervention in general.
0: How do you go about judging outcomes in early intervention? Uh, What are some of the the metrics of of judging um, whether or not early intervention is is successful? Um, As a generalization, uh, we know that um, the younger that uh, kids learn, listen to music, are engaged with other kids, um, the better they generally do in social settings, as Peter was referencing earlier with – not just national um, uh, focus but also an international focus on what early inter- intervention means so how do you how do you go about judging outcomes with a you know a specific program
2: so uh, each of our children um, on our program do have specific outcomes that are individualized for for where they're at and what services are being provided and that's sort of how we run as a program so um, you know we take what the parent is looking forward to um, having their child do, whether it could be walking or crawling or speaking. We put it into their own um, family context, and then we put a timeline attached to that. So, um, you know, we say that by three months they'll do this, this, or that, and then we kind of, we meaning the clinicians that are in the house, go back and forth and sort of work on that outcome, and then at the end of that timeline discuss um, you know whether they've met it or whether they need to extend it and move forward and then that's kind of how we run as a program is it's and again it's all individualized based on that child's needs
1: and because this is a federal program obviously we um, we do have lots of longitudinal studies that um, that point out the benefits of early intervention for um, you know rising vibes for um, pre-adolescent and adolescent kids. And, I, and I, you know, I think that's why I think this EI is so important and, and has been so successful because we've been able to follow um, some of the um, interventions in terms of their outcomes much later on. And um, and that's a good thing. But, um, Laura, can we shift gears a little bit? Um, because we're coming up on the holiday period, which is yeah. hard to get hard my head around. <laughs> yeah, it really right. is. Especially with COVID. It just seems to have wiped everything out. And But uh, the holidays. Like Halloween feels very subdued this year. Yeah. Is that this week? Yeah, it's uh, coming <laughs> up on Saturday. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'll have to get that bucket of candy that nobody ever eats and no kids come around and then I eat them within the next week. Good. Um, so, you know, as the holiday uh, holiday period approaches, um, oftentimes for families who are isolated, single parents, uh, people who are living at the margins, the holidays don't always seem like the most joyous time. They seem like another stress that's just put on an already stressed um, group, um, can you talk a little bit about what we're doing at Bamsey to try and alleviate some of that spra- stress and and bring a little bit of joy to the families that we work with?
2: Yeah, so um, I, I appreciate you um, shining a light on this because I know for us as a program it's something that we um, strive for and we look forward to every year but we we uh, we try to do a toy and clothing drive for our families. Um, And what ends up happening is we have uh, other families and organizations um, and people that turn to sponsoring, whether um, it's an individual child or their entire family, uh, siblings included. Um, And it's something we've done for many years in a row. Uh, Again, obviously, with the pandemic, we've had to think really outside of the box um, from collecting, Sponsors and donations, uh, how they um, sign up to sponsor a child, to how they'll be dropping uh, gifts off, to how we will get them to the families. And we've really had to start using more of an electronic platform um, where in the past, because we've had um, a fabulous center to use, families are in our center, they could, you know pick a mitten off of our, our wall and choose a family or a child and sort of sponsor them that way. Um, but we're going to be setting up a much more electronic platform, which I think will will move into the future with us. Yeah. I think that's where we are. Um, but we're really excited. We try to get um, families toys and, and clothing um, to at least, you know, support them in as much way as we possibly can.
1: You know, I think... Um I've been involved in uh, Toys for Tots um, campaigns and things when I was at the Home for Little Wanderers as well. Stuffer truck, it used to be called. And um, and I think it does more than just um, give toys and, and coats to families, which is hugely important. But what it does, it makes people aware in our communities of what Absolutely. poverty is really like and how difficult it is for people. It's a connection for people who have means to people who don't have means and a little bit of a window into the difficulty that many of our families have living every day in poverty uh, and isolation and uh, the more that we can get the message out that we need families need support all year, not just during the holidays, um, the more I'm sort of happy that we're, we're getting that message over.
0: Yeah, The other day that
1: the boys and I were driving
0: And, um, just think about these turkeys that are crossing the road and I'm like, I wonder where the turkeys go. Like, where do they sleep? And like, Liam's like my, uh, 10 year olds like, well, they sleep in trees. I'm like, how do you know that? He's like, that's what I've learned. I'm like, okay, but we never see them sleeping in the trees. So how do we know? And to me, it's a lot like, um, poverty and homelessness in that, um, You know, we don't know which kids, when we were going to school, were kids that were not, um, you know, going to have a Thanksgiving or Christmas, or if they were homeless or not homeless. And a lot of times, we just assume that it can't be taking place around us in our lives. The individuals can't be struggling to the degree that they are because it's not something that's that's talked about. And you know, I think that programs like this are important because a, it helps people, but. B I also think that it's really important for there to be you know awareness about this because if there is not um at times it it is something that just gets you know pushed aside you don't think about it taking place
1: I do think I, I I agree completely, and you know i 'm often t- trying to think of f- new fundraisers for organizations and I uh, had a couple of ideas that went nowhere, but one of them was um, uh, can you live off what 's in your cupboards for a month without without buying anything other than perishables and then and then donate the money you would have spent on um, on that to to bamsey of course, uh, but the other one is you know I challenge anybody to live on what uh, public assistance, whatever that might be, is um, because that really gives you an idea of how difficult it is. And you don't... Or social security, even. Exactly. Or disability. And if you you don't have that experience, you're not as aware of it. And so, again, though, I think this is just such a good way of getting a message out to the rest of our communities that people are struggling.
0: And how can individuals both within the organization and outside the organization uh, get involved if they wish to?
2: So we are um, we're moving forward with how everything is going to look. Like I said, this is a it, it's a whole new thing that we're doing this year because um, I've been doing it for many years and I've I've really had to change my train of thought um, with how we're going to run this. And I'm I'm working with Bansy, um Bansy PR department and um, you know we're we're really excited and we're hopeful. So I think what. What we're going to end up doing is we're going to have um, an electronic sign-up where where individuals or even organizations can go and sign up to sponsor an individual child or an entire family. Um, And then we'll set up a way of them, you know, um, donating directly to us by dropping it off. We're also excited because we have an Amazon wish list that is um, set up through Amazon, so families or individuals can go into the, our Amazon wish list and just purchase straight from there. It gets delivered straight to our program. It's really a one-click one option, um, and it works really well for families, especially, you know, since we are moving um, into the cold weather and, and families aren't going to want to get out and go to stores. It's an easy way for people to sort of donate that way, is they can go right onto Amazon and Um, We've created an entire list of things that are appropriate for the children that we work with. Um, But we are working, again, um, we're trying to make it as streamlined and electronic as we can. I think it's easiest for everybody to do it that way.
0: Well, no question. And Laura, really appreciate your time and uh, your work at Bamsy, and look forward to uh, talking again soon.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. That is
0: Laura Ciccone. She is the Early Intervention Office Manager at BAMSI. Joining us here on the Humanity First podcast, I am Chris Ryan for Peter Evers. Have a great rest of the day, everybody.